0: Good morning. Well, we, at least I did, I, I woke up to a surprise this morning. Yeah. <laughs> In a, any other given year, it would have been a welcome surprise, but some surprises I like. <laughs> and the, the uh, it's evident, you know what I mean, the effects of the surprise. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know what I mean, you're here, God is here, and uh, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity to to introduce ourselves and, and not really for a first time, but again the Christmas season, the coming of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's the it's the center and uh, the very core of of Christianity, and uh, just good. It's just good. God wants the, his personal blessings to be upon your life, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. He wants it, his blessings. The blessing of Abraham, you may not be familiar with, with it, but really it was none other than just, you know, you know God's desire, God's heart, God's heart. In relationship to mankind. And so he starts with Abraham and grows out of Abraham a family, family that grows into some tribes and tribes that grow into a nation, you know, and then eventually, you know, uh, a message that is, was given to them that would go into all the world and be for all the world. So I'm glad this morning that this thing is not exclusive to, you know, a sect, you know, particular creed, but for all the world. It says of Jesus Christ, it says that he came to save us from our sins. Without talking too much about that, I want to reference and focus just as I begin this morning on the word from. When you're saved from something, think about it what could have been, in this case, the damage that would have resulted, the effects in how it would have been master over your life. Uh, uh, he has says that he comes so that you won't have that in your life. If you're saved from an enemy, whatever the enemy's intent was is no longer possible to happen in your life. Because, you know, you're no longer in his camp. He's no longer in your camp, you know, and his plan and his order is no longer, you know, possible because someone has saved you from it, saved you from it. So the good news, of course, of Jesus Christ is that, is that you know, the past that uh, had its effect on it, he goes ahead and saves us from that. Uh, what might have been the intent and the purposes of, of loss, uh, you, you no longer have to worry about that. You know? Those, those uh, overpowering or, or, or kind of uh, uh, masters that would have been in your life, you know, and it would have been of negative side, they're no longer part of your future. Because you've been delivered from it. You saved us from our sins. Hallelujah. So that's the wonderful and the great news uh, uh, about that this morning. The psalmist asks this question Why are you cast down, O my soul? What's the reason for your despondency? What is affecting your perspective? Why so disturbed within me? What's this turmoil that seems to, you know, you know, be like a churn in me? Why are you disturbed within me? And then he gives a point of direction to your soul. He says, put your hope in God. So what he's saying is, you know what I mean? What is causing the disturbances is is the focus point from once our help is going to come. The criteria that we visualize that needs to happen in order for calm to come to my soul. And yet he says, you know, calm can come to your soul if you grasp and, and just change a perspective in you you know, to hope in God. For they that hope in God will not be ashamed. That's a good news. And he says, for I will yet praise him. For I will yet praise him. So he's engaging himself now, you know what I mean? in, in fortifying this hope. Praise is a phenomenal thing, as David was making reference to. It's such an important part of your your life. It It does you know, wonderful things for you. And uh, it it brings, you know, who you're talking about on the scene, whether it's the Almighty God or whether it be the, the enemy of your soul. He says, I will yet praise him. And then he goes and says, my Savior and my God. So that's a good reference, and that's a good important to to, to grasp those two because see, there were other saviors, but they weren't God. Moses is referred to as a savior. He saved the Israelites out of bondage. He was the he was the, the, the main man, so to speak. But he was still Moses. But here the psalmist says that, that he's my savior. But then he paints the picture of of who it is, you know, and how you know amazing and trustworthy and confidence that you can have because he's he's God. I don't know what God means to you. I can surmise. I know as I let it go through in my mind and and think about what God means to me. Our God, my God, your God—I'm sure is the same. You know what I mean? He's the one that went ahead and made the heavens and the earth. So uh, he's not something that's been carved out of wood and stone. He's the one that made the wood and stone. He's the one that went ahead and when darkness was, was being dominant and prevailed, he said, no, that's not going to happen anymore. Light is going to become the dominant thing. And so he went ahead and said, let there be light. And of course, you know, church, this is before the sun and the moon. This is not the light of the sun and the moon that he is talking about when he said, let there be light. He created the sun and the moon later after, you know. But see, when God begins his operation of creation, he brings light into, the, into it. Because that's who he is. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Hallelujah. So you can always, you know, know that when God arrives and God begins to move and begins to take the chaos and turn it, you know, and make some profitable substance out of it, there's been an illumination that is going on and taking place. And so we talk about hope. We hope the weather's good for our family vacations. Uh, We hope our favorite team wins, you know, uh, we even hope that we get what we want for Christmas, at least at certain ages, you know, after you get reach an age, you know what I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal, it really isn't, you know. But for many, hope lacks a sense of certainty, it's more like a wish, I'm not putting that down. But it's something that we want to happen, but in no way of knowing that it ultimately will. It's one of those, we're gonna keep our fingers crossed, hope that everything will go the way you want it to. And yet as you learn and live, you've discovered the reality that life doesn't always turn out the way you hoped it to because in generality, hope is very fragile general hope is very fragile. It can be disappointing. And as a result of that, feelings of discouragement and hopelessness. And and Then what happens is we run the risk of we become cynics. And all of a sudden, there's not anything really that we can hope in. And that was the... Landscape of the scope that Jesus entered into. The mood that prevailed in Israel was anything but hope. This once proud nation was now just a puppet state and the Roman Empire and its paganism had tremendous influence. The common person lived under the defeating burden of so many requirements, exaggerated requirements, religious establishments, and even though they believed in a promised deliver, time had went so far that you know uh, it didn 't feel like it was going to happen, and it was right in the midst of that cynical sense of hopelessness that hope was born. And even as hope appeared, so few realized it and comprehended that this hope was a hope for forgiveness of sins, a hope for a bright future, a hope for the presence of God in your life, the power for daily living hope that would help you forget your past and set sights on things that did not disappoint. And Jesus came to give you something better than disappointments on planet Earth. And faith to embrace him and what he said and the promises that he's made. A hope that is no longer your fingers crossed Would you harbor in your heart, but a confident, courageous optimism that's rooted in the certainty of his word. A vision for a better future In 1862. President Lincoln on the eve of Christmas made this proclamation. I do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are henceforth, are and henceforth shall be free. And from that moment of proclamation, you know what I mean, it was set forth with the effort to get the message out and also to help everyone become free. It was called the Proclamation of Emancipation a statement that was made, a message that was given, and the war for freedom of every slave. Began to take place. And the birth of Jesus Christ is. Is that same declaration. It's summed up. In the events of it and the words of it. That God has come. To emancipate us. To free us. This book is a book of proclamation of emancipation identifying the those that can hold captivity those enemies that you want to stay away from and to whom to run the time of need to emancipate means to set free from servitude or slavery to liberate to restore from bondage and freedom. Isaiah chapter 9 is a chapter of the promise of a better future. He says, despair has been present, but joy is going to come. Hopelessness is... Master, but hope is going to take over. You don't see a future, but I'm planning a glorious future. And just as Jesus Christ was born into troubled times for troubled, excuse me, he was born into troubled times for troubled times. He is the answer, he was that, and he is now. As I share with you this morning, let us not just be a Christmas story that is an event of history, but may it find application in our lives. Because the Word of God and the Scriptures and this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 9 and 6... It is to be more than what sometimes happens in the practical celebration of Christmas is we have this major ornament, a beautiful ornament, and we love it. And every time the season comes around, we put it on the tree. And then once the celebration of the season's it over, we take the ornament and put it back in a box and save it for the next year. And this passage of Scripture sometimes can get relegated to that kind of format. It is something we will talk about. It is a truth that will bring to the forefront, you know, in the time of its celebration. But it's more than an ornament. It's to be brought out at a... Given time, it's the cornerstone, it's the centerpiece of all prophetic prophecy. It's beginning right here in this moment, for unto us a child is born. This is not merely a Christmas scripture, this is a gospel scripture. Unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of, of Peace. Oftentimes we find that scripture may have one major interpretation, but it has many more applications. Many more applications. And so, it's more than a baby, and you've heard that phrase, and you want to think of it, it's more than a baby, because Isaiah begins to tell us a little bit more about the package. Troubled sometimes, God in the scene for new beginnings. You know, it's tough to trust God when you go through uncharted waters. It takes faith. It takes courage. It takes patience. Sometimes it takes some asking some questions for clarification. It really does. There's nothing wrong with that. But it says in Isaiah 40 and 31 that those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. There's something about hope. And so when Jesus came, he's trying to bring hope because he wants to renew strength. He wants to take the fledgling. The... The, 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 the eagle that, that can run along and flap his wings a little bit and, and maybe get a 15, 20 foot hop and yet he still lands to the earth. And he says, I want to make you soar like an eagle. In the quickness of pace, he says, I want you not to become weary. And even when things are not operating at the pace that you would like, you're not going to get distraught and just cave in and quit. Various paces in life are just part of the fact. So 700 years, 700 years before, midst of despair and hopelessness, they received this word from God in Isaiah chapter 9 and 6. A time that was very turbulent. Kingdom was divided. Israel and Judah were not one nation. They were being threatened. Now, you know, the Assyrians are not threatening you this morning, but there may be something that's threatening you. You may be living in a, you know, an element right now that has, you know, lack of unity. Division is there. Trying to find personal application. And it's really taken a toll upon expectation and and hope. And during this time, it was a period of wickedness. Wickedness was so great that they were offering their children as sacrifices to the fire. It's called the worship of Molech. It's against this backdrop that Isaiah receives this promise about this birth of a child that would change everything. My. Given us a hope to live by. To give us courage and seeing things with hope and not seeing things without hope. He says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, here's what's gonna happen gloom is gonna be turned to rejoicing. And those that had been just experiencing gloom in their life now are gonna have an opportunity to be released from their distress and begin to rejoice. And that distress would turn to joy. Isaiah chapter 9. Said, increased joy and rejoicing is, is the result of this child coming. The oppression that they were feeling was going to be turned to freedom. It wasn't a natural government change. It was a government change. It was in the lives, minds, and hearts of the people. He was going to save them from... A government change was going to take place, and this is going to be the result of of his government in their lives. The yokes of burdens that were so weighty were going to be broken. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. You can't measure up. You can't do it all. You can't get it done. He's going to do it for you. There's going to be darkness, he said, that's turned to light. Now notice the extremeness of this. Darkness to light. It says in the New Testament that they that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And yet there were so many people that didn't comprehend the light. The light shined in darkness, but the darkness comprehended it or not. That's what John, chapter, the first chapter says. But here's Simeon. He says, my eyes have seen the salvation. This is who this is. Even though he was looking at it in infancy, he understood the total package and what it meant. The Christian church has an obligation, it has a duty, it has a mission to tell the story. We have a Savior, we are no longer lost. He has come down to us. We can't depend upon the media. We can't depend upon, you know, the secular world. Because as they're removing, we must replace. As they talk about it less, we've got to talk about it more. More. In order to keep it in, in wherever it should be. In the midst of their gloom, in the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their hopelessness, wait a minute. There is a child that was was born. So he turns darkness to light. And he takes the shadow of death and he overcomes it. A vision for the future. Not just a vision for the future of that we are saved. But darkness has been turned to light. Gloom has been removed, despair has been removed because of hope has come. All of this would come through this one child. This Christmas ornament, Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born unto us a son is is given. as the prophet looked at it and he saw that vision and he gave that prophetic word, he saw this cradle unto us a child is is born. The scripture goes on to say in chapter seven it's talks about some identifying elements so we can know for sure that it's real. Some signposts. He sees God's humility and God's humanity. He's in line for something. The Lord shall give to him the throne of, of his father, David. He is not just for some spiritual high in your life. He's for a very natural high in your life. Matthew chapter 1, Jesus Christ, the son of David, as the lineage is being laid out, The son of Abraham connecting that every promise made back there is now valid in Jesus Christ today. That cradle of incarnation, God was manifested in the flesh. See, the scripture says that there to some there are many gods. And yet Paul says with reference to him, he says to to us as believers, there's only one God and your son Jesus Christ. So the visual and the the the, that you have of God is very important. If you just see him as man, you're going to get a minimized God. But if you see him as God-man, then you'll begin to see that he's the one that made the heavens and the earth. Now, bring your problem, your situation, and measure it up in relationship to size-wise, to the size of the heaven and earth. And how about, how about today? You know, after all these years, we're enjoying sunshine every day. But there wasn't sunshine every day. The earth was not productive, and now it's very productive. Because he turned it. The chaos, the darkness, the futileness, he turned it. And so the God that made the heavens and the earth... That's who he's talking about. And because he came as man, he's trying to get in your corner, in my corner. (laughs) Personalizing it. Saying God, he did this for some real reasons. He says, because I know how you feel. I know the days that are not the best ones. If you're not having a good day, he's not a God that's saying, well, why don't you just shape up? <laughs> he said, I understand how you feel. And I'm here to help. that cradle of incarnation, God was manifested. The Word became flesh. And all that it represents. So he's not only incarnated, it's a cradle of intervention. The Savior has come. Matthew 121 for he shall save his people from their sins. We started out with that thought. Luke chapter 2 for there is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 1 verse 33 he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You can see hope returning to those that in the capture of who it was that was being born. And of course, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 speaks about it. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. The New Testament picks that up. But I love what the book of Hebrews says. Now all of a sudden, you know what I mean? He begins to point out that he's not only a savior, but he's also someone that's involved with our spiritual life. That's what priests do. he has become a high priest of good things to come. Not just old things that have passed, but of good things to come. A high priest. And so, you know... One of his roles is about your spiritual life. Man. Hebrews chapter 7. It says this. It's that he continues forever. In other words, and it says he has an unchangeable priesthood. There, There was no replacement for him. and because of the fact that he lives forever he sa- it says this that he's able to save to the uttermost in other words there's there's no limits of what he can do to those that come to god through christ jesus Because he always lives to make intercession for them. You say something. You say, Father. And whatever your petition might be. Jesus is in the heavens. And he goes and he says, Father, I'm bringing this to you. On behalf of my son, my daughter. On behalf of this individual, that individual, you know what I mean? And brings the petition. And he makes intercession. And that means that he he covers all the bases. Because he's the high priest. He's the sacrificial lamb. First of all, he's the God of creation. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the high priest that goes ahead and presents the blood of the sacrificial lamb under the mercy seat. He's the thing that connects us to the blessings that he promised to Abraham. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of all. You see, Daniel understood this, and so therefore, when they threw him in the lion's den, he was not fretful or fearful, because he knew how big his God was. The effect of Daniel's confidence in ministry was so widespread that even the king, I mean, why would the king come the next morning to find out if he was still alive if he didn't have some kind of perception and hope that this God that Daniel was demonstrating to him was going to come through for him? Daniel, has your God delivered you? It is well, O oh king. The influence of Daniel. The Hebrew children standing before this fiery furnace. It's not going to be an enjoyable trip. Haven't asked for it. But. The song that we sang. He's the king. I won't bow to no other name. Fear is not going to get my knee. Hopelessness is not going to go ahead and bring me to to my knees. Because I've got a Savior. I've got a Savior. I don't claim to have reached those plateaus that some of these biblical characters have reached. But it's not as much about his infancy as it is his deity. We're enamored by his infancy. And the miraculousness of the infancy cannot go unnoticed, nor should we not declare it and proclaim it and stand in wonder with regard to it. But it's about his deity. And so... He saw this cradle of incarnation, the cradle of inter- intervention, then he saw a cradle of inspiration. A cradle of inspiration that is designed to remove the fear knots from our life. God knowing that this is something that we wrestle with and there's something, you know what I mean, that, that lays at our doorstep, but if we can get a vision, you know, of who this is, maybe the fear can become knots in our life. The message, inspiration is do not fear. Zechariah, an old, when his life is about to be terminated. It has been a good run. And yet God is still using his offspring. And the angel, when he begins to give him a promise about the future and who this is, he says, fear not. To Mary, she wrestles with this, this, this angel and, and the message and, and what God is asking her to do. Fear not. See, yes, sometimes the extremities and the dynamics and the dimensions that God asks us to do, you know, all of a sudden that fear begins to Lay there because we're trying to factualize it and comprehend it. See, most of the time we fear when God invites us to join Him beyond our comfort zone. We fear when God invites us to join Him beyond our comfort zone. I love my comfort zone. I love the security. And I'm not asking for the release of that, but I do want to have enough image of God so that I don't fear. The shepherds, too, get the same word. The alarmness and says, Fear not, because I bring you good tidings of great joy. We've got to wrestle through the fears. But there is a voice. And there is a word. And this fear not is not just simply for Zechariah. It's not just simply for Mary. It's not just simply for the shepherds. Because of this child, he says, Fear not because unto you is born this day in the city of david he was born for the whole world but yet everyone gets personal attention from the savior somebody give the lord of praise this morning hallelujah (laughs) this is not a christmas ornament this is a gospel ornament It's a reminder that God is with us. A new song, according to Isaiah, says a new song is going to come into your heart with a message that you don't need to fear. Zechariah said, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. the rulers of the world will come and go change but this ruler has always been and he is and always will be a cradle a cradle of inspiration that's about tidings of joy. It's about peace and goodwill toward men. Why do you need peace and why do you need joy and why do you need tidings of good news? Because it's not there. And he's the only one that can... Bring it, and we are the bearers, we are the carers, we are the ambassadors of the kingdom. The world can say happy holidays, but you, as a believer, should not simply be relegated to happy holidays. That's right. We have to lift the bar and say that, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is an event that's... goes beyond happy holidays. That's right. It's an event that, that, that so moved heaven that the, God sent the angel choir to help in its inauguration. Yeah. So concerned about all of humanity that he takes the lowest of the lows and the shepherds and makes them one of the important people in the history of his his coming. I'll ask the musicians to come this morning. He saw a cradle. He saw a cross, and there's a book written with that title. But I'm not going in that in that in that vein. Unto what the son is given, this describes his his, hum, uh, his deity. Describes his deity. Simeon saw that God was in a manger. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's the only rescue boat there is. He's the only lifeline that there is I say this next one with with I hope with understanding if someone is drowning you don't tell them you're they're drowning. They already know that. You throw them a lifeline. (laughs) you throw them a lifeline. The world that Christ was born into was a world that was drowning and he threw them a lifeline. A savior that has a wonderful heart. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends, but God laid down his life for us while we were yet Sinners, salvation is a wonderful thing. Being grateful for your salvation, you know, is supposed to be a top priority whether or not you just got saved or whether you have been saved forever, so to speak. He says to his disciples. Is they're all giddy and just excited about the ministry and the work that God is accomplishing through their lives. And he says, "You know guys, it's good, it's wonderful, but you know it needs to be a priority that you're saved." He says, "You should be rejoicing about your salvation more than you should be rejoicing about your miracle." Rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. (laughs) I'm going up in years, and I was raised, you know, I wasn't born a Christian. (laughs) I became a Christian by being born again. But that happened early in my life. Very early in my life. And so after, you know, 60-some years can... Almost become a forgotten thing. But he says it's not something that you should forget. Because it was there was the beginning that launched everything else that is good that happens in your life and for your life. He saved you from your sins. Everything you would have done, everything you could have done, everything, you know what I mean, that would have messed you up. He's went ahead and, you know, made it so you could bypass it. That's what Christmas and Christ is, is about, is that God has a, a wonderful, wonderful heart. He has wonderful hands to help us Jesus said this, he said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. He gives us this security of safety. So he has hands that help us, a heart that feels for us. He has eyes and ears to watch over us. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. I mean, let's get them going, church. Amen? God's waiting. God's listening. God wants to hear something. What is it in life? What's your request? What's your need? Go ahead. Send it up. Jesus will grab a hold of it for you. And he'll begin to carry it, you know, onto the throne of grace for you because he's not only savior concerned about your life, but your spiritual life. He's your high priest. Man. He has ears to hear and hands help you say well pastor I've asked and it hasn't come yet don't lose hope because 700 years prior to the prophecy of it coming there was a generation that was going to experience it hallelujah stand with me this morning He has a book to guide us. He sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us. And he's got a wonderful home for us. I want to just say something quickly about the word lost. That word lost is not just, you know what I mean, that you're eternally saved, but he's put you on a pathway. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can rest and you can settle, no matter what the road feels like at the given present time. There's not loss in it. There's gain in it. There's gain in it. We are no longer lost. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as this Isaiah 9 and 6, this ornament that often is relegated to just this time of season, Lord. And Lord, and there is a specific interpretation of it, but God, there's so many applications of it. And so we pray for that application this morning. Everything that it was that's in the revelation of it, God will find his way in the application of it in our lives. as you improve and increase our knowledge and understanding of that you're the mighty god you'll take fear from us lord just let this week let this holiday and Christmas time and all the activities that, that are going to take place in it, let us be the bearers. The angels are not going to come Lord and make this announcement again but we can take the announcement of the angels and we can repeat it because it's the living word of God. It was to be declares to see it with the eyes of Simeon and to function with the faith of Mary and to be wise like the order of Joseph. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen? Amen. Go with God.